Come follow me, the Savior said, then let us in his footsteps tread. For thus alone can we be one with God's own This is Lexi Austin, and you are listening to The Savior Said, a weekly podcast dedicated to my musings and observations on the New Testament and the Gospel of Jesus Christ. I will be using the Come Follow Me curriculum of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This curriculum can be found at comefollowme.churchofjesuschrist.org. For more content, follow me on Facebook at facebook.com slash thesaviorsaid. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Savior Said. We are on episode 22. This is for June 3rd through 9th. John 13 through 17, continue ye in my love. Okay, so before we get started, I have a technology question for you guys. And this is kind of like a church technology question, I guess. So a lot of times when I'm studying for this podcast online, I'm using, you know, LDS.org, which we know is going to turn into churchofjesuschrist.org soon. But I use the online version of the scriptures there because I like to, you know, copy and paste it into my show notes. And I like to, you know, use it to research things and stuff like that. And so when I'm on there... For some reason, I'm using Chrome for my tech people out there. This kind of troubleshoot what's going on here. I'm using Chrome. I'm in Google Chrome, and I'm on the church website, and I've got, you know, the New Testament scriptures open like this week. I was looking at John 16, and, you know, it gets to the point where there's a word, and then there's like, you know, the little footnote, which, you know, if I'm using my print scriptures, super easy. I just look down into the footnotes. But on my computer, when I go and I click on that word that has the footnote, it just takes me to another version of the page pages I'm looking at. It doesn't take me to the footnote. So I have to like turn around and grab my print scriptures and then open up my print scriptures and then find that so I can find the footnote. So if y'all know what I'm doing wrong when I'm using the church website to find footnotes on the scriptures there, please let me know. Reach out to me because I'm I'm having a hard time. I'm struggling and it's just going back and forth between print and electronic, which, you know, print and electronic. You don't get a librarian started on the different formats of print. You just don't do that. So I'm going to stop there, but um, I need help with that. So thanks guys. Okay. Jumping right into this week's episode. I have really loved this week's episode, but I'm not surprised because it is John and I always love John's writings. This week wasn't quite the same culture shock that I normally get when we go from Matthew and Luke into John. So um, it was fairly straightforward, but it's still beautiful. I think what I enjoy so much about John is that he's just a beautiful writer. You know, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're all excellent writers and they emphasize all kinds of really great stuff and I enjoy their, their scriptural books too. But John just has a beautiful talent for writing. He reminds me a lot of Moroni. I feel like Moroni has the same similar kind of talent where he is able to kind of weave God's love into the words that he's creating. And he really is able to evoke God's love through his writing. And um, I'm just really impressed with him. So yeah, so John... Again, this week, I love John. It's awesome. So we're going to start off. We're going to do the quick scripture summary. You know, that's what I love to do. Okay, so this week we read John 13 through 17. And so in John 13, after eating the Passover meal, Jesus washes his apostles' feet and identified Judas as his betrayer. Despite the turbulence of the final week of his mortal ministry, Jesus is focusing his teachings on obedience and service and love. All attributes that define his life and should define the lives of us, you know, in this age. All those who follow him, right? John 14. 
Following that Passover meal that we learned about in John 13, Jesus taught his apostles how to return to Heavenly Father and how to show their love for the Savior. Jesus then promises his apostles that he will send them a comforter. And favorite scripture alert, I have a favorite scripture that comes from this chapter. It is 1427. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. I love that scripture. It's another one of those that, I guess, my modern day phylacteries that I kind of print out and stick up around places to help remind me of Christ's peace and his love and do not be troubled and not be afraid. All right, John 15. On the final evening of his mortal ministry, the after the Last Supper, the Savior is teaching his apostles that he is the true vine and his disciples are branches of that true vine. He commands his disciples to love one another, and he warns them of the persecution that they are about to experience because of their association with him. John 16. After the Passover meal, Jesus continues to teach his disciples. He tells them he's soon going to go to his Father, and that the Holy Ghost, the Comforter, will come and guide them into all truth. He prophesies of his own death and resurrection and proclaims that he has overcome the world. Which again, favorite scripture alert. This is 33, John 16, 33. These things I have spoken unto you, that ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Love it. All right, John 17. Before the Savior suffered in Gethsemane, he offered his great intercessory prayer. He prayed that his disciples and all who follow him will come to know Heavenly Father and obtain eternal life. He prays that we might be one with him and his Father. And those are great little summaries that I got from the New Testament Seminary Teacher Manual, which is fabulous. So you can go back. Those are the summary headings for each one of the days or lessons that kind of go along with each one of those chapters. Now, one thing I noticed this week as I was kind of like reading the scriptures and kind of going through, I noticed that there was a theme kind of associated with each one of these chapters. And so these are some of the themes that I noticed. John 13, I feel like the theme of this entire chapter, this is the one where he's like washing the disciples' feet and he's teaching them about obedience and love and all that stuff. I feel like the theme for this chapter is love. It's all about love, right? So John 14 is where he is talking about the spirit and his peace and everything like that. And I feel like the theme for John 14 is comfort. John 15, he's talking about, you know, again, this is the final evening of his mortal ministry. And he's talking about the true vine and staying on the true vine and abiding in him. And so I feel like abide is the word that really describes John 15. And then John 16, this is where he's got, guys, this is all upcoming, upcoming events, right? (laughs) I am going to be crucified. Gethsemane is coming, but don't worry. Resurrection is also coming too. So I feel like the word that describes John 16 is upcoming. And then John 17, this is where it's the great intercessory prayer. And I feel like the word, it's going to be two words. I'm cheating on this one. Instead of just one word, it's two words. I feel like the two words that describe John 17 is be one. You know, be one with the Father. Be one with our, you know, fellow brothers and sisters at church. Just be one. And so I feel like that's really what he's emphasizing in 17. So it was interesting to me as I went through that I saw each one of those themes in each one of these chapters. But the reason I think I felt that this week was because I did something a little bit different. The end of Come Follow Me this week, there's like a little, you know, little like teaching advice kind of box there at the bottom of each one of the Come Follow Me chapters. It gives you like ideas or whatever. And this one this week said, hey, you know, because Jesus is talking so much in this week's selection, it might be good to listen to it like the audiobook version of Scripture Selection this week of John 13 through 17. I was like, okay, well, you know, I don't normally do audiobooks for scriptures. I love audiobooks 
audiobooks in general. I'm a huge fan of audiobooks, but I don't normally do them when I read my scriptures. But this week I was like, okay, come follow me, suggested it, so I'm going to do it. And so I downloaded it, and I'm listening to it, and yeah, I'm like getting into it. I'm like, oh, he really loves his disciples. This is really great. And then we get to chapter 17, you know, the great intercessory prayer, and I'm listening to it, and my heart is breaking because I'm listening to Christ plead to Heavenly Father on behalf of his disciples and on behalf of all those who will believe in him through them, which is us guys. And it's Christ pleading to his Father in heaven, you know, to keep them safe, to watch over them, to hold them as they grow in the gospel and as they grow in the love that they have for their Heavenly Father. And it's just so beautiful. So I would absolutely invite you guys, if you have not had a chance to listen to these chapters read, I would definitely invite you to go in and listen to it. Um, Just a note on listening to the scriptures. This was something that I learned this week. You can have the choice, if you're listening to it on your app, of listening to a male narrator or a female narrator. So you select that. But also, don't let this throw you off because it threw me off pretty heavily um, when I first started out. If you choose the male narrator because you want to hear what like Jesus would kind of sound like, right? The scripture summary at the top is read by the female narrator. It's read by the opposite gender of whoever's actually narrating the whole passage. Because I kept downloading the male narrated version and kept like starting out and it was like a female talking. And I'm like, no, this is not what I want. I want the guy talking. I want the guy speaking Jesus' words. And all I hear is this lady talking. And it, it took me a while. Guys, I swear I'm not this technology challenged. Like, I really do well with technology. It's just been a rough week with me and the Gospel Library apps and the Gospel website. So, okay, moving on, moving on. Here we go. All right, so diving into Come Follow Me. John 13 through 15, the first section we have is, I show my love for Jesus Christ by keeping his commandment to love. And it says, Jesus had already taught that two greatest commandments have to do with love. And this is from Matthew 22, 34 through 40. And I'm going to read these to you. It says, Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. In keeping with this emphasis, love was the major theme of his final instructions to his apostles. See, I said it was the major theme of John 13. Woo, I was on top of things. All right. As you read John 13 through 15, you might note or mark each use of the word love. And there was a bunch of them. I counted seven instances of love in John 13 alone. You may also notice the word commandments repeated frequently in association with the word love in these chapters. What can you learn about the relationship between love and commandments from the Savior's teachings? Okay, so first thing I noticed is I went back, you know, in reading those Matthew verses, there's verse 37 from Matthew 22. It says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. It took me a moment, but I started realizing, you know, I shall love the Lord thy God with all my heart. Okay, so that's with all my emotions, right? With all my emotions, I'm going to turn it to him. And then with all my soul, I'm going to love him with all of my worship and all of my, you know, divinity that is within me. I'm going to love him. And then with my mind, I'm going to love him with all the intellect that I have in my mind. So how can I serve him? You know, with my emotions and also I guess heart represent our physical sense, you know, our our physical body. So how can I love him and serve him with my body, with my spirit, and then with my intellect? 
right? We have those three different things that are kind of part of us. And so I started thinking about that and I'm like, obedience is probably the best way that we can do that because our spirit then, you know, we feel the spirit, we know what's right, that's our intellect, and then we're able to carry it out through our body. So when we are obedient to God, we are literally loving him with all of our heart and body, with all of our soul, and with all of our mind. Okay, our soul goes out and finds the commandments, the obedience, the things that we know will bring us closer to him. Our mind is able to parse that out and give the commandments to our body like this is what you need to do. And then our body carries it out. And so I saw that as a really interesting way that I had never really kind of thought of before to serve the Lord and to help keep those commandments and to show him love by keeping his commandments. Another quote that came to me this week as I was pondering upon this is a quote, and it's on a building somewhere at BYU. I don't remember where, but it says, when obedience ceases to be an irritant and becomes our quest, in that moment, God will endow us with power. And that's Ezra Taft Benson. So I have always really loved that quote. And again, it's on a building at BYU. And I noticed it like my freshman year when I was out at BYU. My freshman year, I was still kind of going through my little rebellious streak, you know, where I'm like, I don't know. I'm going to do what I want. I do what I want, right? I still do what I want a lot of times. My husband says, he's like, yes, I've learned this about you. But, um, so I still do what I want. But at that point, I was trying to figure out how do I do what I want, but still align it with what God wants. You know, that's kind of like the big conundrum that I had, especially during my early years of college. And so this was a quote that really played into that. The obedience ceases to be an irritant. So it stops being something that's irritating. It stops being something that's preventing me from doing what I want. And then what I want to do, I do what I want. I do what God wants. You know, when that happens, in that moment, God endows us with power. And that power is the love of God. You know, and we're able to share that with others when we become obedient to the Father. So I thought of that too. Also, they reference a talk by D. Todd Christofferson, Abide in My Love, and it's from Ensign Orleahona, November 2016. It's got some really great stuff about God's love, and especially, I think, in today's world. I think there's a paragraph in here that's really important. So here's what D. Todd Christofferson had to say about God's love. There are many ways to describe and speak of divine love. One of the terms we hear often today is God's love is unconditional. While in one sense that is true, The descriptor unconditional appears nowhere in scripture. Rather, his love is described in scripture as great and wonderful love, perfect love, redeeming love, and everlasting love. These are better terms because the word unconditional can convey mistaken impressions about divine love, such as God tolerates and excuses anything we do because his love is unconditional, or God makes no demands upon us because his love is unconditional, Or all are saved in the heavenly kingdom of God because his love is unconditional. God's love is infinite, and it will endure forever. But what it means for each of us depends on how we respond to his love. All right, this is Lexi butting back in. So, again, we're talking how do we respond to his love? Do we respond with obedience, or do we respond with the I do what I want kind of attitude that I have a lot of times, right? Okay, jumping back in to Detox Christofferson. Jesus said, As the Father hath loved me, so I have loved you. Continue ye in my love. If you keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Detox Christofferson says, To continue in or abide in the Savior's love means to receive his grace and be perfected by it. 
To receive his grace, we must have faith in Jesus Christ and keep his commandments, including repenting of our sins, being baptized for the remission of sins, receiving the Holy Ghost, and continuing in the path of obedience. Some will argue that God blesses everyone without distinction, citing, for example, Jesus' statement in the Sermon on the Mount, God maketh his sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. Indeed, God does rain down upon all his children all the blessings that he can, all the blessings that love and law and justice and mercy will permit, and he commands us to be likewise generous. He says, I say unto you, love your enemies, and bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you, and pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. Nevertheless, God's greater blessings are conditioned on obedience. President Russell M. Nelson explained, The resplendent bouquet of God's love, including eternal life, includes blessings for which we must qualify, not entitlements to be expected unworthily. Sinners cannot bend his will to theirs and require him to bless them in sin. If they desire to enjoy every bloom in his beautiful bouquet, they must repent. Okay, guys, I know that was like a really long quote passage. I'm sorry. But I just felt like every word of it was so good. Um, and the thing that I loved about it is not only when are we are being obedient and choosing the right and doing the right thing, are we loving God and showing his love? But when we mess up and we, I do what I want, right? When we have that attitude, then when we repent again, we are taking part in God's love, okay? And so even Russell M. Nelson says, if we desire to enjoy every bloom in the beautiful bouquet of God's love, we must repent. So I learned that this week too, that not only is obedience God's love, but also repentance is part of God's love as well. And taking part in God's love and in in the sacrifice of his son, which was like the biggest example of God's love that I can ever even think of. You know, okay, this is me going off on a tangent. I'm sorry. But I think a lot of times, I think about the prophets before Christ came. You know, like Isaiah and Nephi and Daniel. And I think about how they must have felt knowing that Christ would come. But they had no idea, like, what Christ would be like, really. They had no idea, like, how this whole sacrifice thing would happen. I think Isaiah probably had a bigger picture of it than most. But, um, like, they they didn't know the details. Like, we have written records where we can go back and we can look. Yeah, he had 12 apostles. And these were the 12 apostles he chose. And this is the things he said. And these are the places he went. And, you know, we have all those details. We don't have a perfect picture, but we have a pretty good picture of what happened in his life and how his sacrifice came about and how God's love was made manifest through his sacrifice, how we are saved in our sins. And so then I think about all these ancient prophets before Christ and what faith they must have had relying on that promise by being obedient. All they had was the promise of their heavenly father that one day this would be fulfilled. That's all they had. That's all that they relied on. And relying on that promise by being obedient. I cannot imagine a greater love than that. That is just mind-blowing to me. Um, I even think of Daniel in the lion's den. And before the whole lion situation happens, you know, there's that law that comes out. That he, you know, they're not allowed to pray. And so what does Daniel do? He goes up to his room and he opens up the windows and he turns towards the temple at Jerusalem and he prays. And I think that is such an act of faith in God's love, because what he's doing is he's praying towards that promise, saying, God, if I fall for this, 
if, you know, I continue to pray and I continue to follow you and I fall, I'm taken down, they kill me because of this. I believe in the love and the promise that you have made. I believe in the promise of your love and I will have life with you again. And I just, I'm so blown away a lot of times by the faith of those ancient prophets that they had in the power of Christ's sacrifice and in the love that our Heavenly Father has for us and in their obedience to Him because of that love. I don't know if that made sense, guys. I'm sorry. I know that was a total tangent, but it's just something I've been thinking about. It's been on my mind this week. So, um, yeah, I'm sharing that with you. Okay, up next, next section, John 14 through 16. The Holy Ghost helps me fulfill my purpose as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ knew he would soon leave his disciples, and he knew that they would need spiritual support once he was gone. To help them understand how they would receive the support, he taught them about the Holy Ghost. Okay, so about this real quick. We talked about in one of the earlier episodes that I think Christ's disciples were a whole lot younger than we have in our mind. Like, in my mind, I see, like, you know, 30, 40-year-olds or whatever hanging out with him. But, you know, if you look at, the, again, at the lifespans, they were probably a whole lot younger, like late teens, early 20s. And so to be part of this whole entourage, I guess, that Christ has been kind of leading around, you know, here in the, the Judean area, And then all of a sudden to have that leader gone, yeah, they would really need the Holy Ghost to be with them to help lead and guide them. You know, especially if they're this young, I think of like our little missionaries, they're probably like missionary age, right? And you can't just like dump the missionaries out into the middle of the world. I mean, we send them to the missionary training center. We put them into this whole hierarchical structure where they've got like a mission president and, you know, they've got zone leaders and they've got all kinds of different tools and different things that they can use for their mission there. These guys didn't have that. So instead, Christ gives them the Holy Ghost. And that's what he's kind of introducing to them at this point. All right, come follow me says, What do you learn about the roles of the Holy Ghost from the Savior's words in the following verses? And it has several different selections from John 14, 15, and 16. And so the first one, this one is John 14, 16 through 17, and 26. And it says, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Because, you know, if you go and you look in the Bible dictionary, there's actually two comforters. The first comforter that's mentioned a lot of times is the Holy Ghost. The second comforter is Jesus Christ, which is beautiful. But again, you know, the Godhead, they're one in purpose and in unity. And the Holy Ghost is the representative of the comforter, I guess, to us here on earth. So comforter was the first thing that kind of stood out to me on this first little section that Come Follow Me points out. Okay, up next is John 15, 26. And what stood out to me in this particular section of scripture is that it talked about the Holy Ghost shall testify of me. So John 14, 16, I see as a comforter. John 15, 26, I see as something that testifies of Christ. And so when we gain a testimony of Christ, that is the Holy Ghost helping us gain that testimony. That's what I see. All right, next little, I guess, bullet point in Come Follow Me is John 16, 7 through 11. And it says, and when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Okay, the reprove word in this particular section is the word that actually gave me all the heartache about the footnotes and the LDS.org not working and stuff like that. But I found it, um, and it kind of sent you off on this, like, topical guide goose chase of reprove and stuff like that. So I was like, I'm still, I'm not getting, like, I know what reprove means, but it's not working for me in this context. So... I went, there's a website out there called Bible Hub, which shows you all the different translations of the different versions of the Bible. 
which I find sometimes is helpful because a lot of times by putting together all these different translations, you kind of get kind of more of a feeling of what a word is and kind of more of like a feeling of like what the verse actually means. And the word that I would say probably 95% of the other translations out there use is convict. So that would change this scripture then to say, and when he, the Holy Ghost has come, the Holy Ghost will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. So the Holy Ghost is what tells us, oh, Lexi, you probably shouldn't have done that. That was a bad choice. You probably need to go back and make that right. Okay. That conviction that we feel in our heart that, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Oops. You know, that oops feeling. That's kind of what I see the Holy Ghost as fulfilling. Um, kind of like our conscience, right? All right. Next bullet point, John 16, 12 through 15. He will guide you into all truth and he will show you things to come. So he's also a spirit of truth and of prophecy. Come follow me continues. Why did the disciples need this kind of help from the Holy Ghost? I think I just explained that because they were so young and they were so used to having someone telling them pretty much what to do and where they were going to go and what, how this was all going to go down. And then they're going to be on their own. So they needed someone to do that. They needed the Holy Ghost to be there to help them. How has the Holy Ghost fulfilled these roles in your life? Oh boy. Okay, so I was looking back at this and I'm looking at the different roles. Comforter, the testifier, the convictor, and then also the guide to truth. How has he fulfilled these roles? For comforter... I find that the Holy Ghost has been with me a lot of times where (laughs) I know you guys probably don't know this about me, but I tend to get really anxious about stuff. And that's me being sarcastic. Um, you, you know, this about me, I get very anxious about things, but Holy Ghost gives me a lot of comfort during those times of anxiety. And I find that he guides me to specific scriptures that give me that comfort. And I've read and shared a couple of those different scriptures with you along our different episodes. But some of those scriptures even come from our reading selection from this week. They're the two scriptures that I read you that was like favorite scripture alert, right? John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. That is a scripture that the Holy Ghost brings to my mind many times, because not only am I anxious, but I will also be troubled, and I will be afraid afraid and I'll be very unpeaceful in my mind. And so it's a reminder to me that when I am following Christ, yeah, things may not go the way I think that they should, but not to be troubled or afraid because they will go exactly as God wants them to. And so as a comforter, that's kind of what he gives to me. I also love this other scripture I told you guys about, favorite scripture alert, John 16, 33. The end part of that, be of good cheer for I have overcome the world. And in that The Holy Ghost brings to me as a scripture for times of comfort where, you know, you've got problems here in the world, but be of good cheer. Like, don't be sad. You can do this. Don't be downcast. Don't be pessimistic about this. You can do this. And that's kind of one of the scriptures the Holy Ghost pulls out for me when I am feeling anxious and pessimistic and just not good about the future. He kind of pulls those scriptures out and reminds me of them and reminds me of what Christ has done for me. So, okay, next one, the testifier. How has the Holy Ghost testified to me? Um, Many times over the years. And I think I, you know, I was born and raised in the church. And so I don't have an amazing conversion story with, you know, the missionaries and all that stuff like that. I think my conversion has just been a, 
you know, plethora of small moments over the years of my life where the Holy Ghost has testified to me, you know, here and there, like, you know, I read the Book of Mormon and then I prayed about it and I felt like it was right. Or maybe I'm reading my scriptures about Christ and I feel the Holy Ghost testifying to me that Christ is real and that, you know, he did take all my sins. Or I'm listening to a song or maybe I'm listening to a sacrament hymn and the Holy Ghost testifies to me that this is true. You know, those are all the little moments that I feel like the Holy Ghost fills in the role of testifier in my life. And I feel like having those little moments continually over time, for me at least, is a better, more sure way of having a testimony than having like one big giant explosion of testimony all at once like 20 years ago. So to me, it's really important to have those daily reminders of my Heavenly Father and Christ and, you know, my testimony in them. And I find that I can have that when I do things that have the Holy Ghost nearby, when I'm reading my scriptures every day, when I'm listening to music that testifies of him, when I'm seeking out those opportunities to serve him and to be like him, then I feel those moments where he testifies, the Holy Ghost testifies of Christ and of my Heavenly Father. And that's where I see him fulfill that role in my life. And then the next bullet point, this is the one where he's the convictor, right? He, he tells us when we've done something wrong. And I find that, I mean, throughout my life, he's been really pretty, pretty good about that. But I see that a lot now, especially as a parent, when I'm talking to my kid, or maybe I'm just been like really frustrated with my kid and I'll yell at him, or maybe I'll just, you know, get wound up and say something I shouldn't. And then, you know, I feel like almost immediately like, Ooh, Lexi, that was bad. Nope. Mm mm. That's not, that's not what you should have said. That wasn't right. And then I get to have the really fun experience of modeling repentance for my child, where I go back and say, you know what? I'm really sorry. I lost my temper. I promise that's really not what I meant. I I shouldn't have yelled at you like that. I shouldn't have said that. That was too far, you know, and I hope that modeling repentance like that will, you know, create an impression in his mind that that's what we do when we take things a little too far. Um, But as I, you know, as a parent, I think that's probably where I see it most of my life is talking about, you know, the ways that I'm raising my child and the Holy Ghost kind of guides me as like, oh, nope, that probably wasn't a good thing to do. You need to repent of that and do something else instead. I see that a lot as a parent, really, probably more than anywhere else in my life currently. The next one is where he guides you into all truth and he will show you things to come. Um, With my anxiety, I get a lot, I get very, very anxious about change. I have found over the years that the Holy Ghost and my Heavenly Father, who knows me so perfectly and knows me so well, knows that I do better when he's planted like little seeds of like, hey, this is coming, this is coming, this is coming, so that when the big giant change happens, I'm not totally shocked and I'm kind of like, slowly mentally prepared for it. Um, actually see, it's kind of the same thing that Christ was doing all throughout the past verses with his disciples. Like, Hey, Jerusalem's coming, Jerusalem's coming, Jerusalem's coming. And then, you know, when Gethsemane and Jerusalem and all that happens, you know, they're like, Whoa, but you know, they can remember the little breadcrumbs that he kind of left along the way. And I find the Holy ghost doing this to me. Um, it happened several times in my life. Specifically, I can remember when my cat died, which I know sounds silly. Um, but I guess if you're a pet owner, it's not really that silly, but, um, my first cat that we got after we got married, I was really, really attached to, she was a very sweet cat and she got me through a lot of times where I was really sick and my father in heaven knew how much she meant to me. And so when she got sick, she got, um, a genetic form of kidney disease and it, it struck her very quickly and she went downhill very quickly. But 
I remember that morning that I first found her that I found like something was not right. And I was in that moment. It was like, like, see, this is it. This is the end. Spend the time that you have with her. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. So I take her to the vet and I'm driving to the vet. And like on the way, I get like the little, like, see, this is the end. You need to spend time with her. I'm like, no, 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 no. And we go to the vet and the vet's like, yeah, no, end stage kidney disease and cats, not good. And I'm like, no, 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 we can fight this. But all the while, there's this little voice in the back of my head, like, it's going to be okay. This is the end. It's going to be okay. And he was right. I mean, it was the end for her. You know, we ended up putting her down. It was really, really hard. But I think it would have been harder if I hadn't had those warnings from my Heavenly Father coming up to that. Um, Another example would be this past year. And in case you guys don't know, I talked about this in my general conference episode, but I don't know if everybody listened to that. So just so you guys know, I am transferring jobs at the end of the school year. But all year long, I have been getting these little breadcrumbs again from the Holy Ghost. Hey, maybe you should work with younger kids again. Hey, don't you love your primary presidency job? Wouldn't it be fun to work with kids that age? Hey, don't you miss picture books? Like, wouldn't it be fun to go work with picture books again? And hey, wouldn't it be fun to go do this kid stuff again? I keep getting these little breadcrumbs from the Holy Ghost all year long, kind of guiding me along to something that was coming. And so um, we have two librarian positions at my middle school currently because we have over a thousand students and our numbers drop below a thousand. So there's, since there's two librarians there and the other librarian has, I think two years on me, she's a little bit more senior than me. It was my position that was cut. Well, thank goodness I have tenure. And also thank goodness there was you know a couple different schools that had openings at them. And there was one school in particular that I felt really drawn to and it's a K-6, a kindergarten through sixth grade. And so I don't think that I would have been as okay with this transition as I am if I hadn't had those little breadcrumbs all year long kind of being fed to me through the Holy Ghost. Hey, this is coming. Hey, this is coming. Hey, this is coming. Hey, this is coming. You know, and so my father in heaven, again, he does this probably to each one of us in different ways, but he knows me so perfectly and he knows I need that time to adjust. I've had this before with callings, before I've been released from callings, like, hey, this is coming. I've, I've seen it in a lot of different ways in my life and he's just so good to me that way. But so from John 16, 12 through 15, he's going to guide you into all truth and show you the things to come. That's what I see the Holy Ghost and how I see it working in my life. Okay, continuing to come follow me. How would your life be different if you invited the Holy Ghost to influence you more deeply? Well, I think I've seen that actually a lot this year. Um, As we've done Come Follow Me, you know, I always read my scriptures. I always tried to do the things that I thought would keep the Holy Ghost with me. But I feel like I have just taken it to a whole other level this year when we have done Come Follow Me. And like my whole life now is revolving around the scriptures and it's revolving around Christ. And it has pretty much, you know, totally just changed my life. And having the Holy Ghost with me, I feel like, I am closer to my Heavenly Father. I feel like I'm more stable, I guess, if that makes sense. I mean, like depression and anxiety and all that stuff doesn't go away. It's something I'm always going to struggle with. But I feel like I've been more stable with that in my life. And I feel like when there's the highs and the lows, they, they tend to be, first of all, less, but then also they tend to be mitigated a little bit by the influence of the Holy Ghost in my life this year as I have really just poured myself into the scriptures and into having the Holy Ghost with me at all times. I've definitely felt that. I've definitely felt a love for my Heavenly Father, which has extended out, I think, 
to the people around me. And so I feel like if I can invite the Holy Ghost more into my life, I can continue that and continue to love the people around me. And that'll kind of get me over my hump of like, I don't like to socialize. I don't like being around people and get me more out around people if I'm serving them. I don't know if that makes sense or not. But so that's my big, my big next quest in life is to not be so antisocial, I guess. <laughs> and so I'm hoping that if I invite the Holy Ghost into my life, it will help me with the love that it gives me for the people around me. It'll help me be more social and get out so I can serve others a little bit more. I guess that's where I'm going with that. All right, John 15, one through eight. As I abide in Christ, I will bring forth good fruit. What might it mean to abide in Christ? And what fruit shows you that you are attached to the vine, which represents Christ? Okay, the word abide as used in these verses means to remain firmly and permanently attached to Jesus Christ and his church. And there is this really awesome quote from, drumroll, Jeffrey R. Holland. I know you guys are shocked, okay? But it's Jeffrey R. Holland. It's his talk, Abide in Me from the Ensign 2004. Okay, he says, Abide in me is an understandable and beautiful enough concept in the elegant English of the King James Bible. But abide is not a word that we use much anymore. So I gained even more appreciation for this admonition from the Lord when I was introduced to the translation of this passage in another language. In Spanish, that familiar phrase is rendered as, guys, first of all, I'm so sorry, I'm going to totally butcher this pronunciation, but... In Spanish, that familiar phrase is rendered as permanecer en mí. Like the English verb abide, permanecer means to remain and to stay. But even gringos like me can hear the root cognate there of permanence. The sense of this then is stay, but stay forever. This is the call of the gospel message to Chileans and everyone else in the world. Come, but come to remain Come with conviction and with endurance. Come permanently for your sake and the sake of all the generations who must follow you. And we will help each other to be strong to the very end. And I love that because I thought that was so beautiful that the Lord is saying, you know, abide in me. But he's saying, come stay, stay in me and stay forever. You know, the permanence of that, um, that grafting of the vine, you know, it's not something that's going to fall off in the next season of fruit or whatever, but it's something that's permanently going to be part of the tree, the gospel tree um, and bear fruit for the gospel tree was really beautiful to me. And I really enjoyed like thinking about that this week. And so that's what I think it means to abide in Christ. And what fruit shows that you are attached to the vine, which represents Jesus Christ? I think I see that in the way that my thoughts are patterned. What am I seeking after? Am I seeking after things that, you know, are good and honest and true, like the Apostle Paul says? Or, you know, am I seeking after things that maybe the world would have me seek? Am I seeking after things like I'm spending more time with my family or am I spending more time on social media? You know, I'm like, what am, am I seeking after? That's kind of where I see the good fruit coming from in my life. What fruit am I being drawn to kind of seek after and to produce? That's how I know that the Holy Ghost is a, is guiding me towards Christ and how I am abiding in Christ when I'm bringing forth those good things. All right. So that was, that was that section. Okay. John 17. Jesus Christ intercedes for his disciples. Okay, so this was the part of this week's reading that just, like, threw me to the ground. I just stomped all over my heart. It was just, like, so emotional to listen to. Because, you know, again, I did that audio version of the, the Bible. And this is the great intercessory prayer. 
And it's just, oh, guys, like, it was heartbreaking to listen to. You may not have the same experience, but it was just, like, kind of mind-boggling for me. So, Come Follow Me says, Jesus' words recorded in John 17 are known as the intercessory prayer. In this prayer, Jesus prayed for his apostles and them also which shall believe on him through their word. That means you, you guys, who are believing on him through the word of the apostles that we are reading, you know, 2,000 years later, he was praying for you in this prayer. So those beautiful words that I just think are amazing apply to us as well. And that makes them even more beautiful and amazing, right? And this prayer also teaches profound eternal truths. What truths do you find as you read it? Okay, so some of the profound truths that I found as I read this was, first of all, I loved the relationship that Christ had with his heavenly Father. And we see that especially in verse 23. I in them and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one. And bringing us at one with the Father, you know, at one being the atonement, right, at one mint. James E. Fast has said, We should earnestly seek not just to know the Master, but to strive, as he invited, to be one with him. The days ahead will be filled with affliction and difficulty, but with the assuring comfort of a personal relationship with God, we will be giving a calming courage. And that's from That We Might Know the Ensign, January 1999. So I love that phrase to have the comfort of a personal relationship with God. And I think that's why I like the intercessory prayer so much is because it's all about Christ's personal relationship with God. When we read it, I think it goes from the difference of knowing about Christ and God to going to knowing Christ and God. And I think that's why, especially those first first couple of verses in the intercessory prayer are so powerful to me because it's showing how much Christ knows his father. And so a goal for me is to know my father, you know, even that much more, just following Christ's example and growing closer to my father through prayer. And so that really stood out to me a lot this week as well. Um, and I love that he said, you know, I've got this really hard thing coming, Heavenly Father. And you've given me the tools I need to overcome it. But please help me. Please give me that little extra push that I need to do this thing. And so I think about that as like I pray to my Heavenly Father. Like, Heavenly Father, I've got this challenge coming up and you've given me the skills and you've given me the tools that I need to overcome it. But please just give me that little extra push, you know. And I know nothing in my life could ever compare to what Christ had to go through and what he was taking on. But I still love that the sentiment is the same between, you know, kind of what I I think sometimes and what he does. And I love verse 4 where he says, I've glorified thee on earth. I have finished the work which thou hast gavest me to do. I love that verse. And I hope that that is something that when I get to the other side, I can say to Heavenly Father, I have glorified thee on earth and I have finished the work that thou gavest me to do. And that's my goal. Like that's what I want to be able to say to my Heavenly Father. And I love that Christ says that. And so that's something that I think I really try and focus on. And I love in verse 6 where he talked about, he's manifested thy name. So he's talked about Heavenly Father to the men that thou gavest me out of this world. I love that he's acknowledging that Heavenly Father has placed these particular men in his life to help lead and guide this little fledgling church that they, they are creating. I think I've prayed this before where I thank Heavenly Father for certain people in my life, but it's made me become even more aware of I need to be praying and being grateful for the people that Heavenly Father brings into my life that help me and guide me and lift me up and just to be thankful for those people that I'm surrounded by, my tribe basically, and just be grateful for them. I learned that from this prayer too. And number nine and number 10, I think were the ones that just made me so like, oh, but he says, I pray for them. I pray for them, which thou hast given me for they are thine 
and all mine are thine. All the disciples that I have, all my apostles, they're yours, Heavenly Father. They're yours, and I'm glorified in them. And of course, that glory goes to Heavenly Father. And he says, you know, I'm leaving this world, but they're still in the world, Heavenly Father. They're still here. I'm coming to thee. Please take care of them. These who, you know, you've given me to help spread your word, please take care of them. Let them be one even as you, the Father, and I, the Son, are. That's what he's saying here. And he says, I was with them here in this world. My mortal experience, these were the ones that surrounded me, and I kept them in thy name. And those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them were lost, except for the son of perdition, Judas, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And he says, I'm coming to thee, and I have given them thy word. The world hath hated them, because they are not of this world, even as I am not of this world. And he's saying, Heavenly Father, you know, the people here, they're going to hate them because of the things that they believe and because they belong to me, Father. And, you know, I'm worried about that. And I'm like, oh, it's just this, it's so, so beautiful. And he says, I pray not that thou should take them out of this world. So he's saying, I'm, don't take them out of this world. Don't remove them from this world because the world needs their light. But keep them from evil and protect them and guide them. Sanctify them through truth. Thy word, thy truth, sanctify them. So here's where we are like, be in the world, but not of the world. That's kind of where we get that feeling here in the intercessory prayer. M. Russell Ballard of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles has said, In the church, we often state the couplet, be in the world, but not of the world. World. Perhaps we should state the couplet as two separate admonitions. First, be in the world, be involved, be informed, try to understand and tolerate and to appreciate diversity, make meaningful contributions to society through service and involvement. And if that doesn't describe Christ's ministry, I don't know what does. He was, you know, understanding and he made meaningful contributions to society through service and being involved in his society. He knew what was going on. He was part of his culture. Like that's the be in the world part. But secondly, the be not of the world part, do not follow wrong paths or bend to a accommodate or accept what is not right. Members of the church need to influence more than we are influenced. We should work to stem the tide of sin and evil instead of passively being swept along with it. We each need to help solve the problem rather than avoid it and ignore it. So I love that because, again, it's talking about being in the world where we're serving others, we're being understanding, but at the same time, we are not accepting of evil and to stand up for what's right. And also instead of like creating problems, like bashing people over the head or lecturing people on how this is wrong, because that's not going to bring them to Christ when we start saying, oh, you can't do this. This is wrong. This is wrong. But, you know, to solve the problem, you know, reach out to them. And yeah, you don't have to love the sin. I'm not saying that, but to find ways to bring them from their sin into Christ, I think is my goal. That's what I'm going to work on. And then this is verse 20. This is the one where he includes us, guys. He says, Neither I pray for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. That's us, right? That we may all be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee. That also may be one of us and the world may believe that thou hast sent me. How beautiful is that? I love, you know, we talk a little bit about the Godhead in these particular chapters this week, the Godhead, and how they are one in purpose, and they are one in mission, and one in everything that they do. How awesome would it be to be at one with them? You know, the atonement helps us be at one with our Heavenly Father. So help them to be at one in us, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. I just really love that. It's beautiful. And so it goes on like that a little bit where he's praying for some more, but I just really love that this week. 
And to kind of tack on to that a little bit, um, Come Follow Me says, How are Jesus Christ and Heavenly Father one? In his prayer in John 17, Jesus emphasized his unity with the Father, but this does not mean that he and his Father are the same being. When the Savior prayed that his disciples may be one even as, or in the same way that, he and his Father are one, he was not asking the disciples to become one being. Rather, his desire was for them to enjoy the same unity he has with his Father, perfect unity of purpose, heart, and mind. And that's from the last section in Come Follow Me this week. So overall, just a beautiful week. I loved the scripture reading this week. Love thinking a lot about the Holy Ghost and how it's impacted my life. I love thinking about Christ and his love that he has for his disciples, his love that he has for us, and what obedience means and how we can be obedient to him. And it was just a really uplifting week. I really liked it a lot. So I hope you guys will keep reading. I hope you guys will go listen to this because, again, it changed my life. I don't know if it changed my life, but it was really good. So you need to go listen to this, okay? So go listen to the scriptures. It's awesome. Have a great week. Keep being lights. Keep spreading that fruit of Christ. And I will see you guys here next week. Bye, y'all. The Savior Said is not an official product or endorsed by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. All comments and opinions are my own personal opinions and not representative of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The music used in The Savior Said is Fireflies and Stardust by Kevin McLeod. The hymn quoted in the opening is Come Follow Me, lyrics by John Nicholson. The Come Follow Me curriculum can be found at comefollowme.churchofjesuschrist.org. For show notes, new episode alerts, and other fun and inspirational things, check out my Facebook page at facebook.com slash thesaviorsaid. Have a question or comment? Email me at thesaviorsaid at gmail.com. Content in The Savior Said is copyright protected. All rights are reserved. Thank you for listening.